I'm excited because we are seeing the industrial revolution nine to five gig go away. We're, we're creating better habits. We are leveraging technology much better today than we were just seven months ago. Technology has evolved faster. The digitalization of companies has accelerated, what, five years is the estimate because of COVID. And all that is really good. All that is phenomenal. The other thing that has seeped into everyday nomenclature is the check-ins on and everyone's mental health. How are you doing? And really pausing and listening, really caring about one another and being okay with doing that and actually seeing the value in doing that. I don't think that'll go away. I think we're more human at work. That was Procore Technologies Chief People Officer, Pat Waters. And in this episode, we get into being more human at work as we explore Pat's career and really talk about why she is optimistic on the future of HR. So we'll be back with that conversation after a quick word from our sponsor. Redefining HR, one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today is a real treat. I am thrilled to be joined by the Chief People Officer for Procore Technologies, Pat Waters. Pat and I have a lot to cover, so I'm just going to turn it right over to you, Pat. Uh, if you would mind, uh, just give, your, give the listeners a brief introduction and background on you, and then we'll dig in. Yes, I'm excited to be here, Lars. Um, I have the fortune to be the head of people talent at Procore. I joined Procore in early November. This is my fifth gig as running HR. I've known I wanted to support companies from a talent perspective since I was 18, 19 years old. I geek out on it. Um, so that's what I do for a living. And my personal side, I'm a mom. I have three amazing young adults that I'm proud to also call them my friends. We just moved to Santa Barbara uh, in support of the Procore gig. And I get to walk my dog with my daughter every morning on the beach. And this year I'm learning the ukulele. I joined the community college online Zoom class to learn a new instrument and super optimistic about 21. That is very cool. Did you play the guitar or anything else? For, is this your first stringed instrument? First stringed instrument ever. <laughs> wow. Okay. That, uh, that is cool. I'm gonna, we may have to come back uh, later this year for a, uh, for a little jam. I want to I, I hear how the courses have paid off. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So there's so much that I, I want to cover with you. It is interesting hearing your introduction that you, know, you, you knew you wanted to be running talent teams at 18 and 19. So why is that? What, what was it about the idea of, of running talent that, uh, that even at that early age kind of, uh, was a calling for you? It was, you know, it was a combination of things, quite honestly. I was a CD student. I struggled academically. I loved fine art. I was a fine art student, but I realized I didn't want to make a living out of it because I did it for passion and, and for love and, 
for friends, et cetera. And I continue to do that today, but I, I didn't want to sell it. And then I didn't know what to do with my life. And I went to a career center at LSU back in the day. And they said, I liked, you know, social work, teaching and this thing called HR. And my dad and my uncle were both in HR, oddly enough. So I interviewed them both and I said, Hey, what do you like? What do you don't like? And my dad worked for GM worked with the unions. I didn't like that so much. It wasn't as sexy. And then I talked to my uncle and he said to me that on average, a company's operational expense, 80% of the money is spent related to talent, 80 cents of a dollar. And I was enthralled and I go, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, it's the cost of talent is the comp, the Ben, the training, the development, the tools we give you, the facilities, the travel, the expenses, all that, the licenses that you need to have to run your gig is the cost of talent. And he was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be a recruiter or a comp analyst? What is it that you want to be? And I want, I want all those knobs. I want all those bells and whistles. <laughs> I can optimize that. How exciting. Like 80, 80% of the OPEX I can run. That, that just sounded awesome. So that's what I've been pursuing. Yeah. Well, it's and it's interesting too because you, you've worked in a range of environments over that time and a range of roles. Obviously, you've been running the function for, you mentioned your last five roles now. When, when you kind of think back to what HR looked like when you started your career to what HR looks like today, contrast those things. Oh, great question. I haven't been asked that. Uh, Lars, I think back in the day, it was more of the technical support, the administrative, the compliance, hiring, you know, getting people onboarded, safety policy protocol, and, and doing the foundational work. It wasn't talking about engagement and culture the way we do today. It wasn't talking about mental health and care and compassion, my, you know, the mindset, growth mindset work that we do today. None of that was on that horizon. And so it's clearly evolved. The companies that that had a really strong product brand market position was a, were able to translate that into a talent brand. But even then, talent brand wasn't a thing you focused on. Right. So it's it's on it, you know, it's turned on its head quite a bit since then. Yeah. And how about your role? You know, the the CHRO seat. So I know you, you had your first role running the function. At Align Technology, you know, you've done it a couple times over since then. How how has the demands and the dynamics of the CHRO role evolved during that time? I think the role evolved. I know I've evolved and made mistakes and learned <laughs> along the way. I think I, you know, my first gig as head of HR was humbling. Like it, my member, my first week was, oh my gosh, these dis- there's no one to look up to to make the final call. It's me. Like I'm accountable for the care of my employees and their families. And recognizing that was just truly startling and humbling. I was chasing something. I didn't think I understood the impact of what a bad decision could be. So that first gig was cautious. It was learning. It was thoughtful. And it was partnering with outside coaches and and vendors that would guide me along the way. So I didn't make, I was de-risking my role versus elevating the role. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And then now I'm, I, I want to lead the function. I want to take some risks. I want to stretch the way we think about our function across industries. And, and we should compete on products and services, not on how well we treat our employees. I think that should become table stakes. I think we, we have a bigger role. I, you know, you think about COVID and 
we operate as many, you know, medical advisors on vaccinations and protocol and how to come into an office or when not to, and a whole bunch of stuff that were never even on our radar just 10 to years ago have shifted politics, social injustice. We've, we've had to retool ourselves over and over again. And those that were able to be agile and, and lean in and learn and be humble and have that growth mindset have not only survived these turbulent times, but they sur- they thrived. The company right. thrived. Yeah. And let's you know, I guess one more question, just in terms of uh, of getting your thoughts on on just the evolution, the recent evolution of the field. You know, we talked a bit about the discipline of HR. We talked a little bit about the role of a CHRO. I'd love to get your perspective on kind of the the dynamics of the CHR role within the C-suite, meaning kind of how have the, um, you know, the, the expectations and, and the partnership even uh, evolved between kind of the CHRO role and their C-suite peers over the last, you know, 10 years? Wow. You are good at what you do. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think... For me, I'm just going through my mental model of, of the dynamics that have shifted for me. So when you talk about talent brand, it's it's hat in hand with company brands. You, you can't be incongruent. I've learned that at LinkedIn. Like if you promise a certain experience for the products and the services in the market, new hires expect that same quality or perspective inside. They expect harmony. And knowing your employee value proposition and getting that alignment is key. So you, you find the CMO leaning in, you know, the marketing team leaning in, the comms team leaning in on what are the, what are the key messages and how do we stay congruent and authentic? You, in times of strain, you see more coaching, you know, to the C-suite and, and to the executives and to the board about our position on, you know, social justice and, you know, our responsibility in the communities in which we work and live. So we're being pulled in broader conversations, more directed conversations in a whole different way. And and that to me is thrilling. And and also looking at the PL, like the cost of talent, how do you optimize to continue to grow a high growth company in a healthy way? Yeah. And and you're interesting. I think obviously going through what we've all experienced in 2020 on many levels, right? Uh, in uh, almost infinite number of levels, but particularly around social justice and equity. And I think having those conversations uh, as a society, having those conversations as as companies, and certainly within the you know your seat as an HR leader, and frankly within all the HR team, I think there's been a lot of uh, th- th- there's been a deeper level of conversation and and you know uh, thoughtful discussion around our role in supporting that and how like in, in your, like take me back. I know last year you were, you were still at service now as before you came over to Procore, but like, how did that, the moments of 2020 uh, kind of impact your role and kind of your, your team's role as you, as you led the company through that experience? Well, I think it's creating the space for the executive team to have a conversation about you know, the threat of COVID was coming. We knew it was wonky. That's a technical term, wonky. Yeah. <laughs> Across the world, like who's shutting down? How do you do it? Who's traveling? What are the rules of engagement? What's the right protocol? And it was so disjointed that you had to take a stand of what your company believes in for your employees and their families and what it takes to run your business. 
And so pushing that decision up and out, making sure that we are aligned was critical. And so I was proud that ServiceNow had the conversation. We made a decision in like 15 minutes and we communicated within 24 hours and sent everyone home early March. And then we committed on leveraging technology and service of our employees. And we committed to shining light in, in the humble way, what we know, what we didn't know, when we think we'd know things. Because as humans, in absence of information, we fill that black box with negativity. Yeah. And so just having more conversations helps ease anxieties. And so that was key. And then getting people ready to have conversations about mental health, stress, isolation, personality styles, Zoom fatigue is a real thing. How do you yeah. your calendar? Like we learned so much. And how do you stay human vert, you know, through the Zoom lens? How do you, I've had more people in my home in 2020 than ever in my life, like right. in a virtual way. And so how do you stay connected and human has shifted and teaching leaders to be comfortable with that format and not always using a digital background. Like to, to welcome you into my home is very human, very personal. And, yeah. and recognizing that symbolic movement. Don't underestimate the power of, of bringing someone into your den, into your home. You know, it's so interesting. I think we, uh, you know, for so long, we've, we've talked about, you know, we've used terms like work-life balance and, and, you know, really an assumption there, meaning there's like work you, and then there's life you. And, and I, I think 2020 has just blown that up forever, right? We've, we've been, as you said, we've been in each other's homes. We've seen each other's kids. We've seen each other's dogs. We've um, seen our, you know, highs and lows in ways that we we didn't when we were, you know, meeting for lunch in an office or hanging out around the water cooler. So it just, I think it's, it's forever changed some of those dynamics. Um you know, I think ultimately what will be for the better. Um, I want to I want to jump back to LinkedIn LinkedIn for a minute because there there is when you were uh, running talent uh, as the key HR executive for LinkedIn, um, I distinctly remember you know you you had a variety of uh, you had a a video uh, show with Brendan Brown who runs recruiting for LinkedIn and you know from the outside it felt like a very deliberate. Uh, effort on both of your parts to kind of illustrate the connection and really interconnectedness of what is traditionally considered, you know, HR and talent and recruiting, which, you know, in different organizations has different layers of connectedness and sometimes, you know, no connectedness. So why was that, you know, was my, was my lens on that accurate? And if so, why was that important to you? You are spot on. It was so important. I remember a moment at LinkedIn, I was hosting an event for our customers in Europe for recruiters, lead recruiters, and they wanted to quote secede from the union kind of mindset. They wanted to uh, be their own state. And I'm like, why? And, and their feedback was interesting to me. They didn't feel heard by their heads of HR. They didn't feel mm. like they could have the influence, the strategic mindset, the mind share to really influence talent brand, the experience, things that really mattered. And that shocked me. And I'm like, I don't know how to do what I do without you. And I turned to Brandon Brown and I'm like, he is my canary in my coal mine. All of yeah. you, like you will sense if a company is unhealthy way sooner than I will ever see it. 
You will know if we're leveling jobs wrong, paying jobs wrong, have bad actors, managers in the role, people that need maturing and training for how to interview appropriately. You will see things on a day-to-day frequency, trending data that I it would take me months to learn. And so why wouldn't I embrace them and elevate them and, and, and really celebrate what they do? And so that's what we did. Brendan and I recognized the power together. And so if he would share those insights across the talent ecosystem, we can fix comp structures, I can fix training programs. And in return, we can help him and his managers get better engagement, better conversion of talent, better hiring pipelines. So it was a great, great partnership. I, I, I did the same thing at Procore. Talent acquisition was separate from the people team. And with my onboarding, we pulled it together as one team because it, it has to work as an ecosystem in order to elevate to its opportunity. Yeah. And let's, let's talk a bit more about Procore. So I know you've, uh, you've recently joined. What, what brought you to the organization? <laughs> Combination of things. The first distinct moment I had was taking, I, I took a call for this gig, a friend of a friend kind of thing. And, and I'm like, I'm not interested. I'm working with John Donahoe. Haven't been a service now that long. And they said, just meet the CEO, Tui. I'm like, all right, if I if I need to, you know, just advise him. All right, as long as he knows we're not dating, like I'll, I'll happily have a conversation. <laughs> and I met Tui and he reminded me within minutes that he worked for me, oddly enough, at Applied Materials. And he goes, you may not remember me moment. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And we started talking about the programs he worked on. He was a he was a programmer on my HR systems. He was the voice of benefits. The recording on the we called it Benny on Applied Materials. I think he's still the voice of Benny at Applied. Wow! And I remember the initiatives, and we were like riffing on old times. And he said, "Look, I created Procore's culture with many of the tenants you created in your team because it, it was in traditional HR. Like I'm not a fan of traditional HR and." Your transparency, your courage, your your optimism is is what galvanized the team, and that's the foundation for Procore. And I was blown away, just just so blown away, and and I I was speechless. And he came back to me last spring and said they they were supposed to go public, but COVID put that plan aside. They, they would love me to join them as the head of talent. And I said, I thought you were interviewing folks. And he said, I have the patience of Job. When something's right for my customers and for my employees and their families, it's right. And I'm willing to wait. And you're right. And you're worth it. And, and anyone that, that cares so deeply that will wait for the right decision on talent for future is an amazing, awesome CEO. How do you not fall in love? Right. Yeah, that's uh, that that patience is not is not always uh, what a CEO <laughs> a trait that a CEO is known for. So, yeah, and so he he wants to build a lasting, high performing, healthy company that can scale, and he's changing the industry and in construction. Like he is building the future through Procore. They're making companies safer, more effective. They're they're helping companies thrive. The future will be built on our technology, and, I, and that to me is is a purpose worth sh- you know shooting for. Yeah, and so how so in your new role, you mentioned uh, one of your first steps was to kind of uh, you know reintegrate recruiting back into the talent team. How is your team structured today? Uh, pretty traditional, I guess. Uh, so I have a head of talent acquisition, Steve. He's he's awesome. So 
he was warning me, the recruiters may not want to be part of my team, but he, he believes in the right thing. He knew me from my past and, and he jumped in head first and so did they. So that was great to see them leaning in to become one team. I have a head of total rewards I'd recently recruited. Uh, she worked for CBS International, uh, Rosaria, and, and she supported Viacom. And I cut my teeth on comp at Viacom. So there was some alignment and, and understanding there, which I appreciated. She's awesome. She joined in January and she'll run analytics as well. So that's a little bit different. Um, I have the HR business partners and ops combined because the delivery methodology of what you roll out to the business must have a business sensitivity. So typically what you'll see in HR orgs is ops, HR services will be separated from the business partner strategy role. I think they have to have more alignment. It's kind of like putting customer success or support in with product or, you know, getting closer to the problems of the customer so you can fix it cleaner to the product. That's what I'm attempting to do with that partnership. And I have a coaching team, learning development team that also does construction education and, and teaches our customers how to build out their culture, which is pretty unique, by the way. Yeah. That was interesting. And uh, we call them the tag team, their talent activation and growth. And I used that acronym at ServiceNow because I think L&D is, is more old school mindset. I think what you want to do is take your talent and activate them and grow them, give them tools, services, support, scaffolding, if you will, when needed, and then continue to be agile with them to meet them in advance of need or in times of need so they can be their best selves at work. And at home. Interesting. So you know the uh, the, the structure and the tag. Uh, actually, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that before. So that uh, that is, and I, I I like that more kind of progressive way of framing the impact of their work, right? Of like what they're actually doing. Um, as a lot of the listeners, to the podcast are uh, you know obviously uh, practitioners and operators themselves, and maybe some are looking for jobs. Like, are you, are you hiring right now? Like pl plug what you've got. What, what are you, what are you scaling on your team right now? Yes, please, please, please apply. So I am filling out my head of diversity, inclusion, belonging. So call it dibs. I'm going to build that out. So anyone interested, let me know. I'm building out the ops side of that business partnering role, uh, for talent support, uh, with the business I'm hiring more business partners. I am a uh, hiring employee experience. I'm going to draft and create an employee journey map for the company, not only for today, but imagine 5X our scale and what does that look like and how do you go global? I'm looking at a international head of HR. I'm looking at a generalist for Canada. I'm looking at a talent insights person. Uh, if you have IO background, um, insights, storytelling, very interested in that uh, and recruiting. So I guess I'm recruiting all aspects i think that's what i just told you everything <laughs> I, I think so I yeah <laughs> if, if you're listening and you work in hr people talent recruiting uh any or all of the above yeah. uh reach out to pat there's uh yeah. there's some opportunity there yes we are growing it's a good story so pat one other thing i'm i'm curious to get your perspective on so i know you know in addition to your role you're also on uh several boards and I know from talking to listeners and uh, just other kind of heads of people and CPOs and CHROs in my network, there's, there's a lot of interest in that. And I know that, uh, you know, you're on several now. I'm curious, like when, 
perhaps when you think about the first board you joined and maybe what your perspective is now that you've done this a few times, like if there's listeners out there that are interested in also expanding, you know, their scope to board level roles, um, what are some things that they should be, you know, thinking about preparing for maybe developing skills in now to, to help them be in that position? Uh, I started doing nonprofit just to get my feet wet in into the board space and, and broadening my business network in that fashion. I um, did second harvest food bank. That was amazing. and ended up being their chair for a while. So that was awesome. And then I currently sit on El Camino hospital. I'm on their comp committee. So I, I've leveraged my skill set in support of them and their comp strategies and design and I care deeply about healthcare for for people and their families. And so it's a way for me to learn and be active locally and give back. And so that's a nonprofit. I'm on a a private board, Zenefits, and they're a turnaround org. They're um, trying to figure out how to scale, how to grow, how to get healthy. And so I love problems. I love solving problems and, and working with VCs, learning how they think about an investment, how they size the market. I'm learning a lot about that. And I'm on a public board. Accolade was private. And then I was on the board when I went public this past year. And Rajiva as a CEO gave me new perspective on how a CEO interfaces with the board, how they run their cadence, how they scale. And again, it's that's in the healthcare space. I care, uh, Like I said, I care about that and I'm interested. And all that being said, my words of wisdom that was given to me that I'm applying in my own journey is do boards that you're interested in the product in the market, just don't get on a board for a board's sake because you're making a commitment for multiple years. So be curious about the space, the technology, the people. Be humble that you're learning. Some want experience, public board experience. You're always asking, how do I get that if, if no one gives me a shot? We'll start with the nonprofit, broaden your network, and that's an easier path to, to spring off of. And then learn from others and seek wisdom. I mean, I, I've gotten way comfortable saying, I don't know. How would you look at this? I, I find questions query more powerful than statements. That's it. Well, that's uh, that's good advice. And uh, yeah, I think if if that is your, in, your interest, if you're a listener and you want to get on the board, I mean, you know, taking a seat for the sake of a seat is absolutely not the right way to approach it um, because you're you're not going to you're not going to learn and grow you're not going to add value nobody really wins in that situation so uh, listen listen to Pat I think that's really good advice um, you know you mentioned earlier in our conversation about an excitement for 2021 and I want to I want to go back to that comment a little bit because obviously you know going through what we all went through collectively and individually in 2020, you know, 2020 kicked all of our asses just to, to different extents. And I think it forced HR as a function to really take a leap forward and, and make, uh, you know, broadly uh, embraced practices that were maybe a bit fringe, uh, you know, prior, even in February of last year, right? Whether it's, whether it's remote work, whether it's views towards, uh, you know, different benefits like mental health support, um, when you look to 2021, like beyond the, you know, the, the embrace of, of hybrid and remote and distributed, what are you, what are you most excited about as you think about how the field has, uh, you know, how the field will have progressed, uh, through the experiences of 2020? 
I'm excited because we are seeing the industrial revolution nine to five gig go away. We're, we're creating better habits. We are leveraging technology much better today than we were just seven months ago. Technology has evolved faster. The digitalization of companies has accelerated, what, five years is the estimate because of COVID. And all that is really good. All that is phenomenal. The other thing that has seeped into everyday nomenclature is the check-ins on on everyone's mental health. How are you doing? And really pausing and listening, really caring about one another and being okay with doing that and actually seeing the value in doing that. I don't think that will go away. I think we're more human at work. I I also agreed with your statement earlier. There is no work-life balance. It is who I am living. You know, and as I live, I do some work, I do some art, I exercise, I laugh with my family, I cook, I'm, I'm learning the ukulele. It's like, I'm, it's my whole thing. And bringing my whole self to work in an authentic way is something that we're really embracing. We still have struggles. I think we're still underdeveloped in understanding how to discern what meetings to attend and what vehicle to use in that meeting to the, to be the highest productive person we can be. Should we take it on a phone call, a walk around the block call? Should I do a Zoom? Should I stay on Teams seven hours a day sitting in the same chair? Should I decline that meeting because I'm not a decision maker? I'm not even a recommender. I can t- get the meeting notes. I can spend this time focused and really solving more complex problems like owning your time being more conscious of your time and your effort, I think is what we should all give ourselves this year. And if we can come out of 21, both with our resiliency, the compassion, the care, and this higher order effectiveness in how we spend our time, we will be so much better for it. Those are a lot of uh, really good recommendations. Actually, uh, I I heard the term meeting hygiene for the first time recently, uh, uh, just about, you know, that very thing is like, do I need to be in this meeting? Does this even need to be a meeting? Where should this be? I mean, I think we, you know, this is kind of a forcing function for us to think a bit differently about, uh, productivity and work and what we do and when we do it and how we do it. So, uh, I, I share, I share your optimism. I, I share your excited excitement for the future. And I, I'm really, uh, I, I'm so fascinated to kind of follow what's to come because I think we're, we're writing that playbook as we go. And it's just a, it's a thrilling time for people who work in this space. Um, I want to, I want to kind of close out the podcast with, with something new. Uh, and, and I appreciate you being gay for this. This is called the, uh, the redefining HR rapid fire, but I want to go through a series of, uh, just quick questions with you. Uh, give me like a one sentence answer just to help listeners get to know you even better. Uh, you ready for this? Yes. All right. So we're going to start off. What is your least favorite HR buzzword? I I think I like them all. (laughs) (laughs) You're cheating. You're cheating already. There's, there's gotta be one that you hear and you're just like, Oh, Oh, Uh, transformation. It's overused. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Uh, if I were to check out your most played artists on Spotify, who, who am I going to learn that Pat likes to jam to? Miley Cyrus. <laughs> Miley Cyrus. Okay. Is that, okay. Give, give me your, give me your top three, top three artists. Uh, I love Miley Cyrus. I love Jimmy Buffett and uh, Izzy. 
Vaka, uh, I forget how to pronounce his last name. He is an amazing ukulele player out of Hawaii that passed away. I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I also don't know the last name offhand, but I know the artist. So, uh, okay. Uh, all right. If you could be doing anything other than working in HR, what would it be and why? I would be a teacher. And I, I think a lot of my role is teaching and guiding towards future opportunities and providing context. And I love helping people achieve their aspirations. All right. And last question for you, Pat, what is, give me one HR practitioner you admire. There's a few. Um, Lisa Bettinger at Lincoln Financial, Ellen Shook at Accenture and Christy Everizen. I have to say they're my three BFFs that we've collaborated last year. So they're all on my pedestal of admiration. All right. Well, if you're listening, these are uh, three other great leaders for you to follow and learn from. And uh, Pat, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great catching up and uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.